Here's my boy kicking it old school, Rick Flynn. Oh, my, my. Get down, Johnny Mac Brown. Now, what other dangerous tales do you have to tell me about life in the band in the 1960s? Can you think of anything else? Yeah, I could tell you another really interesting story. Uh, if you remember, Miller Beer used to have these little um, coach lights that they would revolve around. Right, okay? yes. Great, yeah, great attention getters, okay? Well, at uh, the Club A, there was one of those on each side of the bandstand, okay? And so one evening, you know, we're playing, and we, we always had to play loud because of the density of the people. They absorb sound, so you got to crank it up pretty good. And so one of those coach lights, which was to the, to the right of where I was standing, just vanished. Boom. And all of a sudden, I'm, what the heck happened to that light? Okay. And then all of a sudden, the one that was on the left, poof, gone. Okay. Right. So. And where did they go? Well, um, I think they they were destroyed by a lead piece called a bullet, I guess. Oh, no. Oh, no, yeah. absolutely. Oh absolutely. my 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 my! This you sure this wasn't in the city of Chicago? Nope. Was this in the city maybe of Little Chicago? Well, no, <laughs> I don't. I don't <laughs> or, think so. I, I tell you what, you want to take the fifth on that Little Chicago? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh okay. my! Oh my! A lot of good stories. This man has more stories than Carter has got little liver pills. Okay, Johnny, you were playing at a club in the area here. Let's just say a local club. This was back when in the sixties, mid sixties. This was in the sixties, and as a matter of fact, I think it was probably um, this would have been in the late sixties. You know, sixty-eight, sixty-nine in that that range. Okay, yeah, this was a nightclub uh, where the band that I was playing with actually we opened there. We were the first performing group that ever appeared in that particular nightclub. And we were an instant success um, because in those times, for some reason, there was always a hot spot. And I can't tell you the mechanics of why it worked the way it did, but it did. The ladies would show up looking pretty and the guys would follow. Anytime okay? you had a nightclub, anytime where there's ladies, guess what follows? You got it, brother. <laughs> that doesn't take a genius to figure that out, does it? No, that's not rocket science. No, boy, that, it sure isn't. Yeah, that's what you had to do is you had to appeal to the ladies um, because if they don't show up and you're just wasting your time. You know, you can sell a lot of beer across the counter, but nobody's going to get rich. Those darn women, there's something about them. Absolutely. <laughs> Johnny, as you look back upon it, what about the women in those 1960s bars that you played? Did they have it all going on? Were they good looking? Yes. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you, I think that that's about the time that the women's lib uh, movement really started going forward. The ladies dressed so nice. And, you know, there was, uh, I mean, their hair and their clothing, and their, their, you know, just they really put on a good show. They put on a good show. And you know what? I'm going to tell you, Johnny, it was not this blue jeans and T-shirt crap 
excuse my French, that they're doing a, a lot of them today. That's right. That's right. That's, uh, I, I think, destroying the, the women's beauty, uh, the knees ripped out of their blue jeans and stuff like that. I don't go for it. Right. You know? No, I'm I with still, you. I, yeah, I still say put them in a nice dress and, you know, make them smell good. And that's what I'm looking for. I'll tell you, they had the good-looking women back then. Oh, my, don't even get me started. It'll, <laughs> I'll be the next one crying if we go there. I'm telling you, the women looked absolutely fabulous. They took care of themselves. They cared about how they presented at the club. There was none of this foolishness I've seen in later years. None of it. <laughs> None of it. None of it. I don't know where that degenerate look came from, but I wish it would go away. Oh, amen, brother. Amen. But we had as many as a, a thousand paid admissions at that particular nightclub. Okay. And the deal was that the club owner uh, says, look, if you want to do this, I'm receptive to letting you do it. But you put your own man on the gate. He collects the money at the gate. And that's going to be your pay. Right. Now, that's not uncommon. They've used that technique many times at various yeah. places. That's right. And so, you know, on a on a great Saturday night, like I say, we could run a thousand people through that door. And uh, so we made some pretty serious money for a four piece band. They sold a lot of liquor. Oh, you bet you they did. Which is yeah. which is where they made their profit. That's exactly right. And yeah. the reason why they want that man at the door that belongs to you is because he'll collect your pay and they have nothing to do with it. Not a thing. That's right. Right. If it's $20 for the whole band, shame on you, you know, let's yeah. hope he collected the full amount for you. Yeah. What we would do as a group, we would, we would always get off duty uh, deputies, uh, you know, cause they're always looking for a little money uh, to, you know, help support their families. And so we would get one of those guys to be our doorman. Most of these fellows were pretty good sized guys. They weren't small men, you know, and they, they were accustomed to being crowd controlled also. Because one of our cardinal rules that if anybody gets out of line in this nightclub, we want them out of here. We want them out here now. Okay. Don't let it escalate. Right. They'll how, toss them out. That's right. So they, they did. They became the bouncer, the doorman, you know, sort of the peacekeeper overall. And um, it worked. You have the club that you were doing very well at drawing all these people on a good night, you had a thousand that were in there, which made everybody, including uh, the club owners, very happy. They were making good, good, they were making great money off the uh, sales of the liquor. There was a oh, place yeah. down the street that belonged to one of your friends that you wanted to play in a band with. And because of the success you had at the original place, you emptied his mother's bar, whoever owned that, out. There was That's nobody right. down there. So That's now right. something happened. And what happened after that? Well, there was another club further north um, that offered us a very uh, good package to come to his nightclub. Okay. Was it more money than you got at the original club? Yes, more money. Exactly. There you now, go. Bingo. Right. Yeah, I always had a, a very good paying job day daytime. Okay. So I was never 
a musician that worked for money. I worked for the passion because it's just something I had to do. Okay. Right. But what about the rest of the band? Did they, did they want to go for it? Yeah. They needed the money. They said, yeah, let's do it because it's, you know, it's going to be much better payday at the end of the week. Okay. Right. Did the band take a vote on it? And if so, what did the vote reveal at the end of it? Well, out of the, the four of us, I, I remain neutral. Um, I said, whatever you guys think you want to do, I'll, I'm with you. Uh, if you want to make the move, I'm, I'm right there. So at any rate, we loaded up all of our gear and we left, uh, club. I'm going to call it the A club. And then we went to the club, which now was the B club. Okay. Right. I got, did you leave, uh, with any advance notice or you just packed up one day and split no two weeks? No, none of that. Yeah. We gave notice and basically there was another band that was supposed to follow us and I'm sure they probably did, but the people weren't happy with what they were providing. So the crowd just dropped. The numbers went way down. Right. And so everybody went to the B club right your brand new club where you were up there making more money than the original one and continue go ahead that's correct okay and so we're in there uh playing uh, you know doing our thing and uh so someone showed up and basically um had a weapon and um ordered us you know, at the end of his weapon, pointing at it, at us and so forth, that I want you to pack your stuff up and you're coming with me. You're coming back to my place. And uh, that's it. There's nothing to talk about. Held the band at gunpoint. Yeah. So one of um, one of the guys, he actually uh, made him ride in the car with him. Held the band at gunpoint. Now, uh, it was kind of a, it was a very nervous situation. I'm, I'm not kidding. You. It was not something that I would want to do again. I'm not, I don't want to rerun on that one. And how much money do you predict you lost that original guy to cause him to do that? A lot, a, a lot, because I mean, you know, if his business dropped off 50%, then he's still got to pay his help. And out of that remaining 50% that he's taken in for the cash register, He's, he's operating at a negative. Oh, no. Yeah. And so he didn't like that. I can imagine held the band at gunpoint. And what Mm -hmm. did he say? Well, I mean, did, was the gun out when he entered the club? And what about the owner of the brand new place? Did he see this going on? Um, I'm sure he was aware. I, I can't tell you because I was so focused on getting my gear together and, and, you know, getting out of there and not harming my equipment. So I was focused on getting my stuff together. Okay. So we, we loaded up, went back to the other club, got our stuff in there, got set up and went to work. You you mean that same night or, or you mean the next week? No, that same night. Oh, you mean you actually took the equipment down, transferred it to the other place, and played at that other place that same night? We sure did. Well, what? who was the entertainment at Club B that took your place, if anybody? Don't know, but it was a, it was a, a nice place, and the guy had spent a lot of money on the decor and you know, he, he definitely was in the business. There's no question about it. Was there any band at all that showed up at Club B to take your place? 
Not that evening there wasn't. So the place was without entertainment, which stood the risk and probably did clean his place out too. Uh, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, it's like, you know, if you got a, a, again, the ladies will follow because you know they're the dancers. Uh, if you get them on the dance floor, then guess what? It's all magic from there. Okay. No, that's true. But, uh, those uh, darn, those darn women. There's something about them that attracts a man. I'm telling you, I've known it. I, I could go into it further, but I think I'll just leave well enough alone. <laughs> That's right. But okay. I'm going to tell you, I mean, were you telling the crowd that showed up at this Club B? Were you saying, look, uh, we got to go back to A. We got to go no. back to A. No, no you weren't saying anything. Nothing. We just said we're going to take a break and, um, you know, uh, you know, started getting our gear together. And when did this and, gun come out? Were there was it in the middle of the night when you were playing or was it at the at the beginning of the night when you were setting up? Was it the end sort of near the end of the evening? At what time of day was this? Well, I'm going to say best guess. It was probably in the 10 o'clock range. Well, that's uh, early. We, yeah, we had played one full set, and, uh, you know, so it worked out pretty well timing. So we, we packed up our gear, took it back down, set up, and resumed work at the um, Club A. Can you think of anything else? Yeah, I could tell you another really interesting story. We we got hired to open up, and it, it was in Fort Wayne, Indiana, okay? And um, I can tell you, I know... Joe Cocker was on the billing, um, and there was a uh, a female singer, Janice Joplin was her name. Oh, Lord Almighty. So they had a really powerful billing lined up for performers to, to do that show. And so we got hired to be the opening band, okay? For Joe Cocker and an unknown act called Janice Joplin? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh That's my! Right. And you were the you were the warm up band. We were the warm up band. Oh yeah. my, my! Oh, this is rock and roll history, ladies and gentlemen. Go ahead, yeah, Johnny. This... Go ahead. But at any rate, uh, so we trekked up there and we we got set up and, um, you know, it was really kind of a like, you know, you got an ocean of people out there, okay, and you got these lights that are just, I mean, you you could see the lights because they're blinding you. You're looking. You try to look out and see who's in the first, second, third row. You can't, okay, because of the lights in your face. And um, at that particular time, I was using an amplifying system that was built by a Canadian company called Trainer. Okay. Oh yes. Oh yeah. T R A Y N O R. That's right. That's correct. Right. Yeah, had, we had some of those at one time. Yeah. Yeah, and I had a big power head sitting on top of those dual cabinets. Um, that, you know, that really put out some big sound. In other words, the thing I liked about that setup was you didn't have to play it at mega volume to hear it because it would cut through. You know, our, our first song was an old, you know, standard called Honky Tonk, which was an instrumental. Instrumental. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. And so I, then I'm, I'm the guy that's got to do that. All right. And I tell you, I, I'm I'm so nervous, my hands are shaking, okay? Because this this was our debut to really break into something bigger and better. Right. This is the first time that you had warmed up 
a major, major national act like Joe Cocker. That's right. That's exactly right. So at any rate, uh, you know, we, we kicked it off and I, I couldn't hear myself. Okay. And at that particular time, I was playing a big, full, full bodied, uh, you know, Epiphone guitar. This is going back to the days when Epiphone was built in New York City and they were they were great instruments. I still own it to this day. Okay. So this is a good story in itself, too. All right. But at any rate, so this guitar, you had to be careful because it would feed back on you. All right. So then trying to play it at high volume levels, man, I got a double problem going on now. I can't hear myself, number one. Then my guitar is going to start feeding back. And it's all history from that point. Did uh, Joe Cocker eventually make his way out there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, you know, but we, as soon as we were done, then they had a crew that came and grabbed our stuff. And I tell you, it wasn't five minutes. They had our stuff off that set. Right. They cleared it out to make way for Janis Joplin. Whoever was next in the lineup. Yeah, because it didn't take long, man. Right. Janis Joplin, one of her bands was the Full Tilt Boogie. Janis Joplin and the Full Tilt Boogie. And then uh, the first band that she had was uh, Big Brother and the Holding Company. Okay. I'll bet you this was the days of Janis Joplin with Big Brother and the Holding Company behind her. Yeah, yeah, she she was hot stuff, right? Then. Yes, and she was. Great. And later on, yeah, it was her second act that was uh, Janis Joplin and the Full Tilt Boogie. The record company didn't like the Big Brother for some reason, so they put together the Full Tilt Boogie and did it that way. And uh, Joe Cocker went on, as you know, to hook up with um, the Mad Dogs and Englishmen, which was actually uh, many people thought that that tour was Leon Russell's tour, which was a misnomer. The tour belonged to Joe Cocker, but Leon Russell got a lot of prominence uh, off of that. People loved Leon Russell at that time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He was good. Oh, he was very good. You talk about a honky-tonk piano. People had seen Leon on a national ABC television show, which was called Shindig, if you remember that. Um, Doesn't ring a bell. Oh, yes. He was a regular on that, along with a young, unknown, undiscovered Glenn Campbell that was playing a guitar on there. And uh, it was it was a very good show, uh, I used to watch it myself, actually. That is amazing. Now, did your band ever go on after that to play for any more uh, national acts? No. um, Didn't, for some reason, we didn't really get it nailed down, okay? Um, Our manager guy, and I never wanted to be a band leader, by the way. I've always made that perfectly clear. Uh, I'll do whatever it takes to support this group and make it move forward, do everything it takes. But somebody else can do the booking and take care of that end of it. I just I don't want that responsibility. OK. And so our our band director at that point in time is stranger. We should be talking because I ran into him at a restaurant just two days ago. OK. Um, he was a polio child. He recovered. 
went on to become just a normal person. He was our drummer forever. A great guy. Love him like a brother. And uh, later in years, this polio thing kind of came back on him. Okay. And sort of paralyzed one of his legs. You know, he can't even put shoes on. He has to wear house slippers today. All right. But uh, standing there in that restaurant, kind of reminiscing uh, the days gone by, he got all teary-eyed, and me too. Uh, Are you still there? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it's probably bringing back memories to you, and yeah. that is that is good. But let me move on, perhaps, uh, while you collect your thoughts here. Did you ever play at what they called Friday night at the lake? And I know you know what the lake was. Well, I can't recall that I did, to be honest with you. Did you ever attend it as a customer? Yeah, you're talking about the the one up kind of north of where I am. Correct. Lasordsville Lake Amusement Park. Yeah, I didn't want to use the name, but I didn't know if I was allowed to. But yeah, yeah I played there with different groups many times. Okay? Oh, you did play there. Oh, yeah. And uh, I loved it because it was always uh, just a, a, you know, a blast. I mean, it was so much fun. It was phenomenal. You know? They did so well. Yeah. And I remember the, all the blue lights and everything. That always impressed me, too, for some reason, you know, because... There was an entertainer. His name was Bobby Blue Bland. Okay, oh, a blues artist, famous yeah. blues artist. Yes, yeah. he and he capitalized on that blue theme. You know, he always had the blue lights and the blue suit, and you know, he was cool. <laughs> you know, blue fingernails. You know? <laughs> okay. Yeah, so he put on a great show. But I, I like going out to the Swordville Lake because uh, you know a lot of people that we knew could come there because it wasn't that far of a distance for them. Now, when we start, you know, going up to Fort Wayne, Indiana to drag your your regular support people there, not too many of them are going to show up. Right. Well, you know the definition of a musician, don't you? Yeah, a guy that owns a fifty dollar car and drives five hundred miles to make fifty dollars. Right. Know? He'll he'll spend five thousand dollars on equipment to drive five hundred miles to earn fifty dollars. That's exactly right. <laughs> Been there, done that. Now, listen, yeah. at that Lasordsville Lake, they had all kinds of national acts there. Tommy James and the Shondells and on and on and on. The McCoys with Rick Derringer. Now, why weren't you warming up those acts? Well, I, I think because of our booking agent, our manager guy, uh, he had his favorite places. Uh, he liked to take us down to Bogarts for some reason. Right, um, in Coryville in Cincinnati. That's right. And, I, you know, Bogarts is still alive and well. They're yeah, they're still, still alive and well, but a major concert uh, promoter, uh, national yeah. concert promoter, bought them. Yeah. So it's a, a different world, you know, but we did a lot of really nice places across the river. A lot of the clubs over there that we were privileged to play in. I can't remember the names. Grannies, of them, Grannies, and Ellesmere did real well during that time period. And very, yeah, uh, very nice places. Um, upper, you know, people came. They were dressed properly, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, down, right down on the river here in Cincinnati, there was a place called the uh, Flamingo Club. 
Okay. Do you remember that? I, you know, to be honest, I do not. Well, it was big time. I mean, they, they pulled in name acts. I'll okay. bet you, I'll bet you that's before I was of age. It could be, could be, because mm. this is going back a few years. Yeah, right? Mom and dad would not drive me to a place like that uh, at my age at that time. Yeah, but here's the deal. Then they had, like, you could become an After Hours Club member. So when they closed it down at, say, 2 a.m. in the morning, everybody had to leave, Okay. Then if you had your membership card, then you could come back in again. And we then they were all-night jam sessions, okay? All of the local musicians from any place would show up there. And this drummer was really a good one. Uh, his name was Kenny Blackburn, okay? Now, Kenny Blackburn played uh, with uh, Troy Seals. And when Troy was working his way up the ladder, um, and Kenny was a great drummer, by the way. Right. Now, Troy Seals later went on to Nashville to become a uh, a very famous uh, composer, didn't he? Writer. He that's was a right. writer, yes. Yeah, that's where the money is, is in writing songs, not singing them and not playing them. But Kenny was a great drummer. You know, he set up an awesome set of drums on the, on the set, two bass, you know, he did double basses, and he, he could get it done, okay? Right. So we had him on the drums. Um, we had another fellow, his name was Roy Cook, on bass, that later became a drummer as well. And then we had um, a saxophone player, okay? And then we had a, uh, a keyboard. So there was basically four of them that, that ran the show. Now, occasionally we could get um, another horn player up on the set to add a little bit more color. And we would like to get um, female vocalists, if and when we could, to come out and perform for a couple of sets. Um, because, again, that broke up the monotony of that same thing every night. Okay? Yes. So I, I believe that's how we appeal to the crowd. But here's the deal. Then they had, like, you could become an after-hours club member. So when they closed it down at, say, 2 a.m. in the morning, everybody had to leave. Okay? Then if you ha had your membership card, then you could come back in again. And we then they were all-night jam sessions. Okay? All of the local musicians from any place would show up there. And you never knew who it was going to be. It was not uncommon for James, Mr. Brown. James Brown. James Brown. That's right. Okay. Because at that time, he owned King Records. No, he um, didn't own it. He recorded there. Sid Nathan. Sid Nathan owned the company. Okay. Well, I misspoke there then. But I was under the impression for some reason that he actually owned it. Okay. I don't believe so. No, I believe that Sid Nathan owned it, but he employed James. And then uh, the reason I'm going to stand by that, because James would later leave King Records and go down to Nashville down and, and hook up and be on the Polydor label. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, he was one of my favorite singers by the way I, I, I oh absolutely absolutely so yeah you know, when we got blessed and added a couple more horns to the band later on uh down the road we were able to do a lot of that stuff you know like james brown the flames you know well we we tried to replicate that sound as close as we could because it was hot man i'm telling you everybody loved that music oh they okay? did they did and those drummers you had to be good and funky 
to play that on the drums. You couldn't slack that away. You know what I mean? Yep. No right. slackers on the job if you're playing uh, James Brown. Yeah. But those were some wonderful times that just, you know, bring back a lot of great memories. Um, I mean, I just, I could go on and on with that. But that after hours thing down there, like I say, you never knew who was going to show up. Um, and everybody got a shot at it, you know, which if you've got some songs you want to play, okay, you bring your guys up here, let's get it, get it going. You know, you got about three minutes to get on the set. Okay. And right. Let it roll. Okay. And no what, downtime. A, what about, uh, the great recording artist that Cincinnati became known for at King records, Lonnie Mack. Did you ever oh, bump into him? Having Jess. In fact, um, uh, Yes, sir. I can tell you a lot of stories about Lonnie Mack. Um, he was another one of my idols, um, you know, because like he had a sound. Uh, he was running through uh, what was called a magnetone amplifier. A magnetone was uh, a, a, an amplifier at that time, which they have recently brought back. And lo and behold, who is using them today? The modern version, it would be a little old band from Texas, Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top, is playing through go. a magnetone right now today. That's right. Well, if you, you know, I I had one of the original ones because Lonnie Mack, you know, just I had to have that sound, okay, that built-in vibrato, okay. Well, like a nut, I sold that amplifier to somebody, and it was one of the originals, okay, built by uh, Magnetone. Well, at any rate, I hooked up with Magnetone, and they're in St. Louis, Missouri. And so I got on a, a first-name basis with the guy that actually owns the company, okay? And so he said, you know, I'm going to rebuild that amplifier. I'm going to re I'm going to rebirth it, he called it, okay? And I said, I want one, okay? Uh, so long story short, I finally got the phone call. He says, we got your amplifier ready, but I, he says, I got a problem. I cannot sell it to you direct. I have to run this through a dealer because if it got out that I was doing backdoor deals, I'm dead beat. I said, I can certainly understand that. So I said, who is your closest dealer that you can send it to? Well, it was a company in um, you know, Nashville. Okay, okay, right. He said, there's a company there called Vintage Recording Studio that's a dealer of mine. I can send this amplifier there and you can go there and pick it up. Okay. So I said, you're on. Okay. So at any rate, uh, I was all excited and got up about three o'clock in the morning and headed out to uh, Nashville. All right. Got down there and the guys, they were all briefed and, you know, they knew I was coming and um, it was like family. Well, I walked in this place, all these big manic life-size uh, cutouts of Roy Orbison, Elvis Presley, Patsy Cline. It just went on and on. I thought like, man, where am I at in heaven? And so the guy says, well, you want to uh, see what your new toy sounds like? I said, absolutely. He says, I'm going to put you in Studio 6. Okay. Uh, I said, is there a rhyme or reason behind that? He says, all these people you see standing right here in front of you, every one of them recorded in that studio. He said, there's, there's a soul that's in the walls of that room. And he says, you'll see it, you'll feel it. So at any rate, I, they brought the amplifier in, took it down there and set it up. Um, and then they had one of um, um, Glenn Campbell's guitars hanging on the wall. Okay. You know, with, with uh, 
Glenn's picture and, you know, where he signed it and everything. I said, how about that guitar? <laughs> and he kind of chuckled. He says, well, okay, here you go. So he took it off the wall and handed it to me, okay? So here I am. I got Glenn Campbell's guitar in my hands. I'm in Studio 6 where all these great, great entertainers have recorded, okay? And it was like, is this too good to be true? Is this real, you know? I mean, it's like a dream, you know? Are you with me? I'm right with you. Yes, sir. Okay. So we get in there, and the guy says, what kind of background you want? I said, well, give me something, uh, you know, I, count, I counted off, you know, about this tempo, and, and give me a 12-bar pattern. Let, let's do something in the key of B-flat. Okay? It's one of my favorite blues keys for some okay. reason. Now, what was he on? Piano? No, he had he had it recorded. They were they were playing background so I could play over top. Oh, of it. they were playing a tape background, a track. Track. That's right. I got it. okay. And then you know, once I got in the groove, then you know, I, it started you know, came to life, man. It's like you know, all of a sudden somebody turned your on switch, you know. And so so that happened, and man, I was I was grooving, man. I was I was laying out some good licks and you know, really enjoying myself. And I really wasn't aware that they were recording on everything. Okay. Right. And so I said, well, I said, I like, I like the amplifier uh, just fine. Uh, I'm ready to take it home. And he said, well, let me play back for you what you just did. <laughs> and so there he comes out of the speakers, man. I said, geez, old Pete, I can't believe it. That, that was so cool. But um, it I, sounded I, sounded like a million dollars, did it? Yeah, no question about it. You know, and I even did Lonnie Mac's uh, "Wham," and um, you know some other songs. And you know, it's just because that that magnetone, that's what it does for you. Okay, it gives you that sound that you just can't get out of another amplifier. It's 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 built into it. You know. Absolutely. No, I, I had one friend and one friend only during the uh, mid-60s that owned a magnetone. He was the only guy I knew. But when they rebirthed the company and uh, kept it, uh, opened it up again, I was very surprised that uh, Billy Gibbons, you know, from ZZ Top took him on because he wanted that sound too. That's right. Well, it fills it up. It was like, you know, you could take, uh, you know, a guitar, bass, and a drum. You got a band. Well, that's you know, what it, he's got with ZZ Top, and he wants to make that three-piece uh, ZZ Top sound as full as he possibly can. I, I can certainly understand that. Yeah, and that magnetone will do it for you. So at any rate, um, you know, I, I got the guys paid for the amplifier. They were so good and so kind. They loaded up in, in my car or my suv in fact I, I drive a ford excursion when i go out on the road it's a monster machine so then then the guy says well you want to go get a bite to eat i said sure why not you know i'm good now there's a connection here between what i'm telling you and lonnie mack okay right? now i was aware that lonnie mack had bought himself a little place down in tennessee uh so he could fish every day and, and you know just do what lonnie wanted to do and I had his personal phone number, okay? And so when I got ready to head back north, 
I said, I'm, I'm going to give Lonnie a call and see if he'd be receptive to let me just stop by and say hello. Okay. So I called and let it ring and ring and ring. No answer. Called and let it ring and ring and ring. No answer. And um, so after I got probably, you know, 150 miles upstream, then I get the call. <laughs> okay. Lonnie Mac returned your call. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, sure did. So we chatted for a minute or two, and um, I think he was having a brain lock. He, could, he couldn't really, he knew my name from those days, but he couldn't put my face to the name. So, But we had a great conversation. I told him what I did. I just went down, picked up a new magnetone amplifier, and he got all excited about that. So it was really a, a good, good thing. I, I've enjoyed that. And it wasn't very long after that that I got the news that Lonnie had passed. Oh my. Okay. Okay. And so I felt like, you know, the good Lord put me there and gave me that shot. Right. Yes. I can understand that. Now, you know, I was up at the Hamilton uh, airport. Now this is before nine one one where all these fancy security procedures went into place. I don't know mm -hmm. if you remember, but guys and girls out on dates, <laughs> they used to go to the airport. It was kind of like going to the Ohio River uh, for the submarine races. You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. Except, you you know, you would go to the Hamilton Airport, and if you were lucky, you'd get to see the planes go up and down. But one day I showed up there, and there was, instead of a Piper Cub or a Cessna there was this beautiful plane that did not just have the one propeller in the front of it and a small set of wings. It had two propellers on the left wing and it had two on the right. And it was a much more expensive and a much more cargo and passenger laden plane. It costs more money. You understand? Oh God. Yes. <laughs> I said, I said, boy, that's a nice plane. And the man that worked at the airport, he said, that's Conway Twitty's plane. He, he's dating some, some lady here out of Hamilton, and he pulls that plane in, and <laughs> that's Conway's. He'll be back to get that the minute he's done. And I just wondered, did you ever bounce into Conway when he was making his rounds into Hamilton? No, never did. Um, although I can tell you, going back a few years, uh, there was a place called the Wayside Inn. Oh, I heard of that. Yes. Okay. And Conway, you know, was from Dayton. So he, he performed there numerous times. Now, this is going back to the uh, Jack Rickles, Dumpy Rice uh, gang, okay? Because they would have been the house band, Dumpy and, and his his guys. Right, right, right yes. Wasn't the wayside known as being a, a country and Western young country or rocking country joint? That's right. That's right. Now, there was another one a little bit further north of that called the Golden Key. Oh, absolutely. Now, the Golden Key also in its day was hopping. Yeah, no, I personally myself played the Golden Key uh, oh, several times. Hot spot, man. It yeah. really oh, was. years ago, I played that. That Absolutely. Yes, the, the Golden Key in its day was rocking. But the Wayside, if you wanted country and Western, 
you had a good crowd there to wayside at all times, usually. That's that's correct. That's correct. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the tales of the one and the only guitarist, Johnny Mac Brown. So, Johnny Mac, I guess out of your whole career and everything that's happened, that's all the stories you have tonight. Is that true? Not quite. <laughs> I thought for a half a second that that Mac in the middle of your name was uh, after Lonnie Mac, but that's not true, is it? That is not true. You know, um, Th- that was from yeah. some TV Western uh, actor, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah, yeah a Western movie star uh, that always brought in the bad guys and made sure justice got served. So, Johnny Mac, I guess out of your whole career and everything that's happened, that's all the stories you have tonight. Is that true? Not quite. <laughs> Well, I'd like to tell you the story about uh, how we formed the band that we have together at this point in time. It's really kind of an interesting story because, like, you know, I, I was uh, went through a layup period where I wasn't really working with any group or anybody in particular. I was just kind of floating around trying to find a place to sit in and, you know, play some music with different people, hoping to connect. But, you know, guitar players are, uh, you know, not rare. You know, there's a bunch of us. And just about every place you go, they'd say, well, yeah, we got 20 guys in the lineup and you're number 21. Do you want to wait? So, you know, that's kind of how it worked out. But I think, you know, in music, you have to connect with the right people. It's almost like a, a mind thing that, you know, when those thought waves are correct, it's, it, it, t- it takes a magic form and begins to happen and transform into a reality. And the story I want to tell you about is like... I was searching for some people to hook up with and tried all kinds of different uh, groups and ran, you know, followed up on ads, people advertising and so forth. And this uh, just wasn't me. You know, I'd, I'd show up and try to work with these people. And it was just like pulling your own skin off. You know, it just didn't click, you know, and no, no disrespect to them because there was a very a lot of very talented people that I crossed paths with in, in my searching for the, for the answer. But at any rate, I have, um, I, you know, I drive, um, I guess I can tell you, I drive a Toyota. And so, you know, getting my car serviced regularly is a big thing for because I, I really a, a believer in keep clean oil in them and do the maintenance and they last. So at any rate, I'm taking my car to a particular Toyota dealer. And one of the service riders kind of like picked me out of the line of people standing there waiting to get the car serviced. You know, every time I took the car back, the same guy would, would write me up, you know, and take care of it and so forth. So there was just something about the guy. I, I finally asked him one day, I said, do you, um, are you a musician by chance? And he said, well, yeah. Why do you ask? I said, I don't know. Just uh, something about your, your your mannerism and the way you do things just led me to believe that. So the next thing I know, uh, invite a guy to come over, bring his guitar, and let's see what we can do with some stuff. So we cleared out a place in my kitchen but in front of the refrigerator, big enough for two chairs and two, two guys with instruments, and we went to work. Okay? Out of that evolved now a five-piece band all seasoned musicians. Uh, we've got a song list of about 120, uh, broken up into like 20 song shows that we can do. So this is how we're able to, to do our marketing. Is we give you the, the different tabs and you choose which song list you want to hear. And so when we come on the scene, we're, we're ready to go, All right? And each one of those different lists runs about three hours. 
okay? Uh, once we start, we take one break someplace in about the middle, and uh, otherwise it's nonstop, a three-hour show. And everybody we performed for really likes us and wants us to come back and so forth. And so we had a lot of good things booked, but the pandemic sort of... Uh, took the thunder out of her storm. Well, at any rate, this fellow that, you know, that's my service tech, we hit it off very well, like similar age, uh, similar ideas, similar types of music that we've experienced over the years. So then we added a third person. Yeah. And so it was like, you know, these guys were all just out there in space waiting for somebody to knock on their door or make that phone call and they were ready to roll. Okay. Right. I've known a lot of women that were way out there in space, too. But now that's another whole different thing. So we won't go into that. No, we better not get on. We don't touch that one. Okay. No, no, we won't. But these are great fellows. Uh, they're very dedicated. Uh, when we have a rehearsal, which is standard on Tuesday night, everybody shows up on time. Uh, it's a solid three hours of nonstop. And the way we molded these song lists out, it was, we've taken different artists. Example, like, uh, can, can I mention a couple of artists? Absolutely. You? Okay. Uh, Van Morrison. Okay. I'm a big Van Morrison fan because I really like the subjects he writes about and the dynamics of his music. It's 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 meat and potatoes, man. You People can't, you... will remember Van Morrison primarily for that song, Moon Dance. Oh, yeah. Well, that's one of our best, better songs that we do, as a matter of fact. Yeah, Van is great. Um, Bob Seger, we, we really do a lot of his songs. Detroit, Michigan, uh, the old time rock and roll. Yeah, you got it. That's right. And and people, they really enjoy that because it's not obnoxious, no foul language in the middle of the song and nothing ugly about it. About it. It's just all beautiful lyrics and music that's just beautifully composed. Okay. And so this is how we came up with our, our portfolio of songs by taking each individual artist and start with their top tunes and kind of work backwards. Okay. And it, it's really a, a great program the way we designed it. All right. Because I think with our group, we have something for everybody. We spread the sheets out, you choose the list you want to hear. When we show up, we're ready to get it done. Okay. Nobody's standing around scratching her head. What are, what are we going to play? You know, we right. already know we got it. Okay. Very well organized. So that's kind of how it all came together. If you know how to, to operate it, which I don't, <laughs> but um, somebody that's got the, uh, the experience, they'd know how to do it. Okay. So if we want the organ sound, we got it. You know, we want the piano sound. We got that as well. Okay. Right. I mean, even, yeah, even back to the days of like Jerry Lee Lewis, who, you know, I, I always liked his music because it had so much dynamics, you know? Yeah. One of the old uh, rockabilly shapers of what we now call rock and roll. That's right. That's right. As a matter of fact, he has a place in uh, Memphis, right on the main drag. We were hanging out down there one night, me and my lady. And somebody said, Jerry Lee's going to come in tonight and do some songs. Okay. So we left about 10 minutes too soon because then he shows up. And so we, we ran into another couple that we had been sitting with at that club, Jerry Lee Lewis's place, the very next day on a riverboat cruise. And they said, well, you guys left just a little bit too soon. And so they told the story that Jerry Lee walked in, went straight up on the stage and took off with great balls of fire and just rocked the house. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you missed it. 
Yeah, yeah, we did. But uh, I guess we became too impatient, you know. Right. That'll cost you. Yeah, because like everybody said, you know, this is what he does. You know, he'll just show up. No, no announcement because he doesn't want to create a big waiting crowd uh, in anticipation of them uh, performing. Yeah, well, it's great. And, you know, I, I think it's called Bourbon Street. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But it's the main drag right downtown. They barricade it off every day about 4 o'clock, and it becomes just a big walkabout. It's just a really fun place. You can wander in and out of these various pubs, and there's a great band in every one of them, you know? Exactly. Uh, I mean, walking that street, I've never heard of a musician that I didn't admire. And B.B. King, he's got a nice nightclub there. You know, right. He up. had one in New York City as well. But uh, these places are great. Family, take the kids. You know, you don't have to be afraid. Um, you know, it's just a great big party. It's what it is. Okay. All right. Yeah, but I, I really love Memphis. I can't get enough of it. I can't wait to go back. Right. Now, your band, as I understand it, you're doing private dates primarily. All right. Yes. Everybody knows my email out there. It's uh, rickflynnpresents at gmail.com. They can fire off an email to me. And if they're interested in uh, uh, booking your band out of Southwest Ohio, Northern Kentucky, or Southeastern Indiana, they can write and I'll make sure you get it. Okay. That would be wonderful. Certainly would appreciate that. But, you know, when we show up, we come prepared. We, so we, we show up, everything is well organized. We can set it up in 30 minutes, you know, be ready to perform. Okay. Very well. Yeah, uh, you know, it's all, it's very well organized. You know, the PA system, um, you know, we got a great one. We spent a lot of money on it. Um, when we set it up, it's living color. Nobody gets blown away with one speaker out of a corner. It is the, the balance is, is there, not offensive in any way. That's great. So, well, I thank you, Rick. This is just a, I'm very complimented and gratified to be part of this. One time coming back from Las Vegas, I ended up on a bus with two of the Eagles. <laughs> what a band you've got there. Yeah, it's just an unbelievable amount of talent those guys had. Right. You know? And, you know, now they have Vince Gill with them, which uh, really uh, added a whole new dimension, I think. Yeah, Vince is awesome. Just, I don't know, he's one of a kind. Uh, you can't say enough good things about this guy. And I'm going to tell yeah. you, the women, oh, do they like Vince. Yeah. Well, he's, he's smooth. Yeah. You know? nobody, nobody answers, he says, when I call your name. And the <laughs> women out there in the audience are, oh, Vince, Vince. And they're crying out, oh, my Vince. He's a crooner. Yeah, yeah, he is. He sings uh, to the women. Yeah. Well, he's, I think he's a pretty good guitarist also, you know, as far as. Yeah. Well, he does yeah. that chicken picking, you know. Yep, up, up, yeah. up, 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 up. You know what yeah. I mean. Oh, yes, I do. Yeah, you do yeah. any chicken picking? Occasionally, you know, if something necessitates that. But to me, um, I, you know, it's not my style. Right. You know? You'll leave it to Vince. Yeah, we'll, we'll let him do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Johnny, as you look back upon it, do you have any regrets at all about playing music? The biggest problem you got with this, though, is the equipment. Um, taking it in, setting it up, do the performance, and tear it all down and bring it back home. It's a hard, hard piece of work. Okay? Uh, you're telling a man who did that his whole life. The yeah, last, so I'll tell you how long that has affected me. The day that I bought two brand new cars, in the last recent years, 
was the first time in my life ever that I had to purchase those vehicles without having one of them to be a truck to haul equipment. <laughs> there you go. Right. I said, the next person that gets me to play is going to tack on 1999 plus fuel and whatever other charges they got to rent the rental truck because I'm out of the trucking business. Yeah, I know. But see, part of our businesses that we do, I have, you know what, a, a, like a Freightliner um, Express van is like you, a um, box van. Yeah, FedEx uses. Correct. Guys. Yes. Oh, well, yeah. I've had one. T- I've had two of those. Yeah. Well, we have one of those in our fleet. So we've got vehicles to haul the equipment. That's not an issue. But again, it's break it down, pack it in, take it, set it up wherever you're going to be performing, do the sound tests and get everything set up, do the performance, tear it all down, put it back in the truck, bring it back home, set it back up in the the music room. We have a room on the back of this building that is dedicated the music room. Okay. So it's all set up in there. The amplifiers, the drums, the congos, bongos, all the amplifiers, the speaker system. So we don't have to do that unless we're actually going out on a, an engagement. Okay. Everything sits there. Guitar wise, I have what I call my go-to seven that each one of them has a uniqueness about it that works well for certain songs. You know, I've never found one guitar that works for every song. It just, to me, it's not possible. Okay. Um, in my variety of instruments, I have a, uh, 57 gold top. It's just, I mean, it's a really classic stuff, you know? Absolutely. Uh, Dickie Betts from the Allman brothers, uh, plays a gold top, but I think it's older than that. I think it's 50 something. Well, that's when it was invented 1957. That's right. when Gibson introduced the gold top. Right. Okay. Correct. I think Dickie Betts from the Allman brothers had one of those. Sonny would know that the next time you see him, he'll tell you. Oh yeah. But at any rate, yeah. Dickie Betts and, um, Wayne, um, or Warren Haynes. War, oh, okay. Warren Haynes could make that any guitar sing. I'd go get a PV at the Goodwill and tune it up, and he'll have tears running down your eyes again. Yeah, he he, does. he and Dickie Betts, um, on all those um, Almond Brothers hits, uh, these guys work together so well, it's amazing to me. Okay. I have interviewed Warren Haynes once in the past. I loved the guy. We had a great interview. I still have the recording of it, and I'm going to attempt to bring him on this show again. It's just we've made contact, but we haven't yet come up with a deal of any sort. So we're going to try to get Warren Haynes back in here. In fact, we were just talking about that myself and uh a friend of his just this afternoon. So we're, mm-hmm. we're working on it. Okay. We're working on it. Yeah. But you know, as, as good as these guys are, I think now Warren Haynes is a, a sort of an exception to the rule. He's got a couple of really big, nice tour buses. Um, you know, he does everything, what I would call do it the right way, run it like a business. Um, Dickie Betts, I don't really think he's got, if he's got a car, he'd be probably on top of it. Okay. I haven't seen Dickie out touring, uh, at all. His son is out there with what they're calling the Almond Betts band. And that's Greg's son and Dickie's son and their band. Yeah. 
But some of these guys were just not money smart. You know, they, they spent it before they got it and they were, they were broke at the end of the day. You know, well, I call that the Leon Spinks syndrome. <laughs> yeah. 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 Heavyweight yeah. champion of the world. Uh, <laughs> not, I swear to you, at last I heard prior to his death at one time there, he was tending bar at a hotel. I believe it. I believe it. It's a shame. Yeah. The heavyweight champion of the world. Where did that money go? <laughs> Tantalizing true tale of Johnny Mac. All right, ladies and gentlemen, back in the mid 60s with all the vibrant music that was happening, the scene was was jumping and Johnny Mac was in the thick of it. He's still playing today. I want to thank you Johnny Mac for all the stories for everything you've done. It was a great, great time reminiscing with you. And at this time, I think I'm just going to have you say, good night, Johnny. Good night, Johnny Mac. All right, ladies and gentlemen, guitarist Johnny Mac, been around a block once, twice, three times. He's got more stories, enough to fill up a whole month or two worth of shows again. This man's got more stories then Carter's got little liver pills. I want to thank him. I want to thank you for listening today. This is Rick Flynn. It's been fun, but I've got to run, and we'll see you on the next one. Good night, everybody. Thank you. The preceding was a Rick Flynn production. This is your announcer, Chantal Marie speaking.